Aw, shucks, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. A nitpicking podcast if there ever was one. He tried to set ants on fire with a magnifying glass last night. It's Medicare expert, Doug Jones. Hello, hello, hello. It's another exciting, thrill-packed episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you to my nephew, my Canadian nephew, Drew McMillan, who has been our announcer for lo these many decades that we've been on the air. Drew is a major contributor to our efforts here, and we salute him, but he uh, has fulfilled one important function. He's told you who I am. I am. Doug Jones, your Medicare expert, or some would say specialist for today and probably for the next few podcast episodes. So thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. As always, at this time in the podcast, I want to remind you that if you're looking for definitive knowledge about Medicare, if you're looking for a painless way to become the Medicare smarty pants in your neighborhood so that all of your friends will envy your newly acquired knowledge, then what you want to do is uh, sneak over to either barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com and purchase Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. Don't forget to put those numbers in the search window along with the title of the book so that you don't wind up with an older version of the book. You want the newest, most current edition. And uh, you will have your choice of the Audible version, the uh, Kindle version, the paperback version, which seems to be the bestseller by far, or the magnificent hardcover $22 edition that is designed to be as strong as modern technology can make it so that it will last forever. Now, unfortunately, Medicare won't last forever. There are going to be changes and so forth that are going to call for a new edition, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2024. But that's not going to be for a few months yet. So that $22 Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023 hardcover edition is something that uh, I would uh, strongly suggest, not because I make any more money on it, but because it's going to be so durable and so much more beautiful as it graces your bookshelf. And speaking of gracing things, I've got a man who's been struggling with his brand new printer all morning. It's a, it's a, it makes me break out in cold sweats to watch what's going on the other side of the screen. Randy, have you made any progress with this thing yet? I, I think I'm making forward progress. I'm not sure. I'm not going to, uh, you know, count my chickens just yet. But uh, I think I'm getting further along the line towards the beauty of printing, which is uh, certainly something I'm looking forward to because my last printer was a uh, a boat anchor. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> well, I thought you threw it out in the desert. Not many boats floating around out there. I did. I drug it out to my garbage bins. You know, as we have, you know, roller bins out here. Sure, sure. I drug it out there. And I said, goodbye, so long, farewell, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. And I threw it in the trash. Good for you. Because I know that thing was like a burden. It was really not making you a happy camper. 
Well, yeah, plus it was going through ink like it was going out of style. I don't know whether the company that sells the ink was needing to increase their profit or something, but I put a set of ink cartridges in that thing, and it seemed like about 20 minutes later they were empty. Well, that's why they should give you the printer. I mean, if they're going to charge you for the ink, that's where they make all their profit. I say they should give you the printer and just let you have at it. But um, your new printer has an ink supply program that is somehow... Somehow I have like five years worth of ink <laughs> that I haven't paid for. So I can, I'm, you can see it now at the supply shop. What where out of all this some particular model, where is all that stuff? And they look it up. Oh, it's Jones has got it. Well, I used to send Mary over to the like the local uh drugstore carries it. So there's a CVS down the road. Uh Target had it. Uh every place she went had a display of HP ink cartridges. I don't know why they need so many for Christ's sake. That's one thing I do. If I become Mr. HP, I would, I would uh, definitely, Oh, do you hear my phone? My very irritating telephone alarm. Can't hear it. Your system, your system is uh, filtering it out, but it's very loud and obnoxious. So I'm going to make it go silent. But anyway, so I used to send Mary over to these stores to pick up a cartridge on short notice, get over there, get more. And uh, now I don't have to because Hewlett Packard mails them to me. So I'm sure these stores are now overstocked and they're wondering (laughs) why they're not selling any more ink cartridges. What was that? Did you tell me the other day or were you just teasing me that there was an HP ink truck loaded up, stopping at the front of your house? It looks like one of those trucks that pumps out uh, septic tanks. In this this case, it's full of ink and it's just waiting for... Oh, uh, you know, this is it. Jones's place. But it's become superfluous because Hewlett Packard is now doing the same thing for me. I think they're preparing to bury a pipeline from whatever their ink well is to our uh-huh. uh, house. Uh-huh. But one way or the other, I'm pretty happy about not having to pay $65 for each stupid cartridge. Uh, you know, and then to do that a couple of times a month is. Uh, oh, yeah. I, the I mean. I don't know what happened, but it didn't used to. It used to last a little bit longer with this previous, this previous printer I had, which shall rename, remain nameless. My sister has one just like it. <laughs> yeah, it is like a member of the family, or it used to be. It's like it's just like another member of the family. My brother doesn't have one though. Uh, well, he shouldn't. He he doesn't want to have one because it was endlessly irritating to you yes yes it was let's endlessly irritate the uh, audience shall we by asking them a or having you ask me a medicare question see if you can all righty well we are gonna do that here hold on Uh, let me pull it up i've got it right at my fingertips somewhat let me grab it and i will present you with probably the toughest question you have had this morning about medicare yeah i'm there are probably a lot of other questions i've had to address okay are you ready ready okay last episode we dealt with uh question number 17 was can medicare drop you for health health reasons and the right unequivocal answer was no no and but here's number 18 now this is a little more tricky what do i do question number 18 if i cannot afford my Medicare premiums. If you can't afford your Medicare premiums, then what you want to do is pick up your phone book because we all have telephone books that we're uh, uh, constantly using to look up our friends' telephone numbers, I'm sure, in the white pages. But you look in your local telephone directory or your 
computer, if you want to Google it, for Medicaid. Now, if you're in California, it's Medi-Cal. If you're in Arizona, it's going to be access. But what each state has is a federally funded program to help those who cannot afford to pay for health insurance. And uh, they will help you enroll, help you uh, afford the cost of, and uh, uh, cause you to have insurance coverage that you wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. Now, I'm not sure that that's the answer that you're going to tell me that they have on the page, but this is what I have advised people to do when they say I'm completely flat broke. I can't afford to buy a Medicare supplement. I don't even think I can afford to have a Medicare scam vantage plan that costs any money. What do I do? I say go to Medicaid because your state's Medicaid program is designed to pay for people who just can't afford to pay for their own health insurance. So what does the answer on the, on your source of information look like? Well, let me give you, I mean, that is very, very close to what they said. But oddly enough, let me pull out the answer that they gave. And it's number 18. Let me see. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. What if I cannot afford my Medicare premiums? Well, it says here, now I wouldn't have expected this out of a professional source. Says you're tough out of luck. No, I'm just teasing. Um, if you cannot afford your Medicare premiums, there are several assistance programs available to help cover these costs. First, you should visit your local Medicaid office to see if you qualify. If so, Medicaid will cover your monthly premiums and provide you with extra benefits. Additionally, there are several Medicare savings plans available to help cover low-income earners. These plans may help you with your Medicare premiums and out-of-pocket costs. Uh, so I'm not sure I understand what a Medicare savings plan is, Doug, but maybe you could expound on that just a little bit. Guess what? I've been talking with my volume switch off because <laughs> because I'm, my throat's a little on the ticklish side today. I don't know where I I lost you. Where I, I was going, what? Well, here, let me read Let me read the answer. I mean, you basically gave the answer that they gave, but there was one more thing that I wanted you to clarify a little bit. They talked about, hold on, they talked about additionally, there are several Medicare savings plans available to help cover low-income earners. These plans help you pay your Medicare premiums and out-of-pocket costs. And my question was, is maybe you could expound on that just a little bit. What is a Medicare savings plan? Well, my answer to your question is probably not. I don't think I can expound in any educated way because a Medicare savings plan doesn't, I don't think, have one uh, one definition. I think there are several different Medicare savings plan programs that are designed to help people who can't afford health insurance pay their premiums. And I don't know enough about them to be able to tell you for sure that that's your best bet. So the number one part of that answer was actually the one I relied on, which is look up your state's Medicaid um, office and tell them that you want to apply for coverage because you don't have enough money to pay for health insurance premiums. And then they're going to envelop you in their premium free coverage. They might pay your premiums for you or they might enroll you in the Medicaid program free of charge and hand you a card that allows you to get medical treatment at certain doctors only. 
It's like having a Medicare scam vantage plan, but it's run by the government and they want to make sure that you are deserving of the aid. And when you, when you're, uh, I've had clients who have come to me and said, okay, I'm now earning more money. I can get off of Medicaid, put me on a regular Medicare supplement and uh, let me enroll in Medicare. And so they will disenroll you from the Medicaid program once your earnings exceed a certain amount. And that's going to be different everywhere in the country. But the Medicare savings programs or savings plans are something I'm not all that familiar with. So that would be good for somebody to Google if they can't afford. Ooh, yes. Yes, sir. I have a question. So that your answer to that ultimately prompted another thought in my head. So always over the course of time, we always talk about you got to get your Medicare supplement when the getting's good. Mm-hmm. But if you if you have for whatever reason had to go on Medicaid, uh-huh. yep. and then all of a sudden you decided that well, not decided you uh, you know your oil well came in, your ship hit the dock, you know yeah, your, your lottery all, ticket paid off, all all is good, and you want to go back on Medicare and a supplement. Can you just move back or or how does that happen? When you have that circumstance happen to you, the uh, government has created a special enrollment uh, period, SEP, that will specifically allow you like 30 days to get your Medicare supplement uh, enrolled and they will um, protect you from any negative consequence. So the whole thing is, if, if we could probably burn a whole episode uh, with me just listing all of the Medicare supplement, uh, Medicare special enrollment periods that are uh, allowing people to move into and out of Medicare without any negative consequence, like medical underwriting, because there are a ton of them. If it uh, if it uh, snows too much in your neck of the woods, and they'll give you they'll give you a carte blanche to uh, change your Medicare plan for some period of time after the snow starts to melt and just stuff like that. We could probably do a whole episode on all of the uh, special enrollment periods that are available for people in certain circumstances when they move, when they attain an age, you know, like age 65, that kind of thing. So So, now, now obviously you're the expert. So if I was going to have this situation, I would call up Doug and say, okay, bring me up to speed on what has to happen. But if somebody doesn't have a Doug Jones in their life, does uh, do they? How do they know that these things can happen? In our country, we have so much support for the people on the lower end of the economic scale that there is a way that they do find out. And I have to believe it's the if the people are poor and they know where this the resources are to get like a food bank, uh, you know, how do I uh, sign up for that kind of thing? Then uh, the people are right there saying, by the way, you're old enough for Medicare. Can we help you acquire Medicare insurance coverage, even though you can't pay for it? Uh, There are a lot of resources for people who basically can't afford stuff. And there aren't as many resources for those who can afford stuff. The government, people don't, the charities, they don't reach out to people of middle or higher income. So that's the purpose I try to solve. My, my, um, uh, target audience is uh, those who are more self-sufficient but may not be informed as to their options. But the other side of that coin is that there are a lot of poor people out there. I know for a fact that people who are disabled 
who are under age 65 usually don't have any access to Medicare, but their doctors will tell them, okay, here is what you have to do to sign up for Medicare under age 65 because you're disabled. So they find this knowledge. I don't know exactly how, but I know it's readily available for people who can't do for themselves like the rest of us are able to. So they're pretty well taken care of, and I don't have a lot of concern for the fact that they're not informed as to their options. Okay. Well, that's what I was always wondering that because um, it just didn't seem like it was up front, or at least in my world, it didn't seem like it was up front and out there on the front, you know, that you could find it easily. But you're telling me that's certainly not the case if you're willing to ask. That's right. And frankly, you and I have Medicare supplement plans that are the right plans for us, but they don't require that we ever question that choice because they don't change. If they're right for us at the beginning, then they're right for us 10 years from now. And uh, the only possible problem would be that maybe the price has gone up. Maybe I should have the same plan from a different company. But people who are uh, indigent or who don't have a lot of money have to ask, and their resources offer them the answers, which are often, re, uh, you know, uh, Medicaid or uh, some sort of um, uh, government or tax-supported charity is the way that works. And they, they run into the information. Maybe it's not ideal, but I know that many of the insurance companies that I represent, when they have Medicare Advantage plans, they're always telling the agents how to tap into the lower income uh, communities. I hate to use that word, but the lower income people in order to offer them the advantages that are almost cost free. Now, if the insurance companies are telling their agents to do that, you know, for a fact, first of all, they're getting a profit somewhere and that's coming from the federal government. Medicare Advantage plans are paid for by our tax dollars. And secondly, um, there is a charitable um, aura that they try to help their agents uh, attain. Let's do good by doing right by the people who are less able to uh, enroll themselves because they don't have the resources. So there are a lot of insurance companies out there trying to make sure their reputation is sterling and also trying to uh, capture some of that Medicare Advantage market, which the federal government will enrich them for. But that's subject for another time because you and I have plenty of bones to pick with Medicare Advantage <laughs> uh, providers. Oh, oh yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to start off with an exciting, um, actually start off, we've been discussing solid Medicare content quite a while now, but uh, one of the next things that floated to the top of the, the uh, stack is an article that I was pretty anxious to tear into because I would say that half of our listenership probably has had to deal with this. Um, not so much Randy, not so much me, but the entire the title of this article is Heating Up the Hot Flash Market with unnecessary and potentially harmful drugs. So if you're subject to hot flashes, I may have some information that would be helpful to you <clears throat> and also, uh, you know, warnings and so forth. And then I happened to read, I was just scanning this, uh, this article that was curated for us. And I see all kinds of links in here, one of which is a symptom quiz. And so I'm going to try to find the original of this article so I can click on that link and see if I can't 
ask Randy some questions to find out whether he has occasional hot flashes. So I'm going to set this article aside and uh, we'll address it another time. And then, oh, lo and behold, what floats to the surface after that is another uh, another uh, entry from Tony with an I because I am a girl. Tony King, who is a Medicare expert, uh, certainly a columnist, author, and podcaster. And in this episode of her uh, pontification, the title is Legal Documents That America Should Not Be Without When Aging. And somebody wrote in and said, hi, Tony, because they all have Southern accents down in her neck of the woods. And that would be in uh, the Houston area, Sugarland, Texas. In fact, this woman says, my husband is retiring at the end of the year and we're losing so many benefits from his work, such as company benefits, life insurance, dental, vision. I know I'm missing something that is important for us to retire with as little stress as possible. I do not know what other subjects that we need to explore. I've been told that if we do not have a power of attorney in effect for both of us and me or my husband have a stroke or another disability and cannot decide for ourselves that we should have to go to court and file for guardianship. I have no knowledge of this, and I really do not know what type of attorney we will need. I want to make sure that I get this done correctly. Thanks, Sandra from Galveston. And Tony says, hello, Sandra. No, that's what I would say. Tony says, hello, Sandra. I completely understand how you feel because Americans that are enrolling in Medicare or retiring, whether healthy or with with a serious health situation, are struggling with what to do. Um, Tony says is her little... uh, uh, column, I believe. And uh, the Medicare, Tony says, Medicare team advises everyone to seek an attorney or legal aid. That would be for poor people that can't afford an attorney to have a new or updated power of attorney, medical power of attorney, and living wills executed properly. These three legal documents can make your life stress free during a trying medical time. So let's find out what this is all about. Adult children of elderly parents need to be sure that their parents also have these three legal documents in place. Elderly parents need to realize that they are not giving up their independence, but only helping their adult children when they must help their precious elderly parents during trying times. It is not an easy time when an old or when an adult child must take over the parent role for the one who has been their parent all their life. Let's discuss the differences in these three legal documents. Huh, I could hardly wait. One, power of attorney. The power of attorney is a cornerstone of a financial plan. It ensures that a person's wishes will be respected if there comes a time when he or she is unable to act. It's a written document whereby someone is appointed to manage that person's financial affairs in the event of illness or incapacity. Signing a power of attorney is critical to ensure a person's future independence in the event of illness or incapacity. Without it, one risks having his or her affairs managed by a court-appointed guardian, a stranger under court supervision, and often without the ability to have any input. In other words, this person literally loses financial control. Now, document number two, document one was power of attorney. Document number two, medical power of attorney, also known as a healthcare power of attorney. This gives someone you trust 
the legal authority to act on your behalf regarding health care decisions if you ever become incapacitated or unable to communicate. And the third document is living will or advanced directive. It's a written statement that details what type of care you want or do not want if you become incapacitated. A living will bears no relation to the conventional will or living trust used to leave property at death. It is strictly a place to spell out your health care preferences. Um, so I, <laughs> this is a, kind of a misprint. A living will, what she means here is a living will or an advanced directive uh, for health care. Uh, it does not have any connection with the living will or the inter vivos trust uh, that you would use to uh, indicate your uh, property preferences. This is a document that spells out your health care preferences or wishes. So let's see. Then she tells Sandra to visit uh, a website that uh, may or may not be helpful. I think uh, she's telling Sandra to go out and buy more insurance. So we'll just skip over that part. But I would like to think that most people understand those documents are going to be a good thing to have in many situations. And I would like to share with my clients the do's and don'ts of going to the Social Security office. This is another of Tony's uh, rules for living in America. But some people have to go to the Social Security office in order to enroll in Medicare. I've got some clients who are really just sitting around tapping their fingers. We've done everything necessary except for acquired the government documentation that they have Medicare starting on a certain date. It seems as though they're often slow. Tony suggests that they go and give their documents to the people at the Social Security office in person. I generally suggest that they do it online because I don't want to tell my people to go to the, you know, the end of the den of the wolves and um, expose themselves to the government bureaucrats. But here is a... Um, a thing that uh, Tony talks about. Uh, good morning, Tony. I found that even when all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and the paperwork is filled out correctly, Social Security can still royally screw up. I personally filled out the paperwork for Medicare with the words in red written across the top for the special enrollment period, SEP, because I was laid off from my company. I did just as you told me to do. The Social Security folks still incorrectly entered and processed the paperwork after I left their office. It took three long telephone calls to get the information corrected so that I wouldn't have a Part B penalty. Can you please explain the simple steps that meeting with the Social Security office uh, would, uh, you know, the steps involved in meeting with the Social Security office? And this is a gentleman from Spring Texas. That's a uh, suburb north of Houston. That uh, It's a very nice place. I've spent some time there with friends that live down there. So Tony says, thank you, David. How to navigate the rules of the Social Security office, enroll in Medicare, can be confusing. That's not even a sentence. That's like several disconnected thoughts. But I digress. Below, uh, in, in your case, uh, coming up are the basic do's and don'ts one should follow to apply for Medicare or your Social Security check. Here's a do. When applying for Medicare Parts A and or B, when turning 65 and not receiving your Social Security check, one must go online at socialsecurity.gov slash 
Medicare only. Now, in my book, I say you can go online at ssa.gov slash Medicare and find the same way of enrolling online. And uh, she says you want to do this at least 90 days prior to having your Medicare begin. I would say you want to do it maybe 60 days prior to having your Medicare begin. No more than 90. She says do it more than 90. I say do it slightly less than 90. Here's another do for you doobies out there. When applying for Medicare Parts A and or B, when past 65, a full-time working employee and leaving a company benefits go directly to the Social Security office. Be sure to wait in line and process your Medicare paperwork directly with the specific Social Security office. It is not advised to place the paperwork in the Social Security's inside mailboxes or put it in the mail and mail it to them. Always meet the Social Security agent face-to-face. And here's another string of dues. Do file a change of life form when your income has lowered because you've had a change such as not working or reduced hours of working, death of a spouse or divorce, or no longer making the income you made prior to enrolling in Medicare. This is to help avoid the IRMA penalty, which I call the success penalty. You must have Part B in place when filing a change of life form, because Part B is what the IRMA penalty is based on. Uh, IRMA is income-related monthly adjustment amount, and it is the penalty that Social Security will charge you extra for being successful, financially successful. So there is a form that um, allows you to appeal that uh, imposition of that penalty, and it says you must have Part B in place before you file that form. Also, do talk with a Social Security customer service rep when you believe that your information has not been processed the correct way. Do Talk with a Social Security supervisor when you cannot get answers to your questions because things have been not, not been filed correctly. Do go to your area's congressman. Holy crap. If you cannot get your problem with Social Security processed correctly, take your problem and how it has been processed to the congressman in your area. Sign off that congressman's assistance. Sign off that congressman's assistance can speak for you. Oh, okay, give them permission, basically, and let the congressman's aides search deep into Social Security's back office. Do always, always receive copies of what Social Security's aid has processed. Aid is a person in this case, A-I-D-E. Always keep copies of whatever they've processed. And then there are two don'ts here. One is don't give up. If you believe someone has processed your paperwork wrong, keep calling or go back to the local Social Security office. I have a client that filling his life change event form took five months of not giving up by going to the local Social Security office and calling various regional offices to have his problem solved. Never give up if you believe the paperwork is not processed properly. The other don't is don't mail copies back to Social Security or back to the Social Security office. Always go in person. So that's Tony with an I and her advice as to dealing with the local Social Security office. And I believe I have really stretched our time limits today. Those crickets must be belly up with their their legs uh, waving in the air by now. 
Yeah, just like that. Randy's showing me how a dead cricket would look. <laughs> what this is what a dead cricket looks like. Yes. So anyway, I was I was just gonna point out something that I had heard. Don't know whether this is true, but I had heard that you know that mailbox out in front of a social security office? Yeah, yeah. The last time they unloaded that sucker, there was letters in there with three cent stamps. Well, absolutely. That was <laughs> that was from the early 1950s. They don't empty that mailbox very often. It was no. almost it was a boon for the social security types when uh, the panic came along because they all got to go home and hide under their beds. And then yeah. when when they actually started doing some work, it was from their home. So they really loved the the panic. Oh yeah, yeah they did. Well, you know something. As we said, we're out of time. The crickets have chirped. There's a couple things I always want to do before we sign off, bring the train into the station. Doug loves to hear from you. Get out your pencil. You can reach him at dbj at, excuse me, mlmmailbag.com. He is licensed nationwide. We don't mention it enough to help you with your Medicare supplement needs. Check us out at medicareforthelazyman.com. We would also appreciate it. If you could find a way to give us a rating on the podcast and the books, we're always up against it, but you could help us out. We'd certainly appreciate it. But more important than any of this is we want to thank you for joining us today with, uh, you know, whatever time you had, you spent it with us at Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And we certainly appreciate that. But if you haven't checked your watch lately... You have no doubt spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy from Oklahoma, now camped out in the high altitudes behind Cave Creek, Arizona. And really, I think he's today, he needs to go get an air tank because I had heard, I checked the altitude, and he is up there about 16.5. Tell me. Thank you for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.